Knock, knock. Who's there? A program director. A program director who? A program director who needs money now. Isn't there a grant for that? Oh. (laughs) Yep, sounds like a joke, but sadly it's a reality for all grant professionals. Understanding what grants can or can't do for your organization is important, not just for the person who might write the grant, but for colleagues and especially leadership. It's also important to know when to say no to a grant opportunity. These conversations aren't easy. Sometimes your organization needs help learning the right way to facilitate these discussions. The team at D.H. Leonard Consulting trains grant teams on how to approach these strategic decisions. Reach out to them at dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how-to, but we also want to explore the why. Not the letter Y, the word why. Why? Why are certain things this way? And often that includes poking the bear of inequity that roams the world of philanthropy. And as always, we're doing it every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our particular brand of entertainment, which may include songs cheesy sound effects, and the occasional y'all. It actually um, always includes that, I just this, just for the record. This, yeah. <laughs> but if you're new, yes. welcome. But yeah, that's kind of it. That's kind of yeah. it. Yes, because we've decided learning doesn't have to be boring. So nope. after a quick word from our sponsor, let's get to today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So, by show of hands, how many of you wonderful listeners actually have a grant writer, grant administrator, development director, or some variation thereof in your actual title? If you're listening to this while you're driving, just pretend to raise your hand. Amanda will explain soon. And on the flip side, how many of you stumbled upon this podcast because grant writing has nothing to do with your job, yet you were assigned grant seeking and writing duties by your boss and you're just trying to get some decent free content to set you straight. Yep. And while we may not be able to see you raising your hands, dear listeners, we know that there are way more people who got voluntold that they were going to be grant writers than there are people who go into it as a field that they're ready and prepared for. Right. Mm. Um, And when you're stuck with work, and have little to no training or experience to go with that, we know it can seem overwhelming. It was overwhelming when I started to do it and I wanted to do it. That may say a lot about me, but I'm just putting (laughs) that out there. That's accurate. That's accurate. Um, And also um, 
you can't see us, but we're all looking really cute today, all of us, and we have a wonderful guest coming up, and that is why we brought this guest to the show. She knows a thing or two or 12 about being in a position where grant proposal development was not part of her job description, and yet she's found herself successfully involved in grant writing and management over the years. Yes, today we are talking to Mayor Joy Day, and if you think that last name sounds familiar, you'd be right. She is my fabulous mother-in-law. We're here to dispel all the mother-in-law garbage <laughs> put out there. Yes, I won the mother-in-law lottery, and after listening That's today, right. you'll understand why. Yes. <laughs> so here's a little bit about Mayor Joy Day. She served for 35 years in the Clayton County, Georgia School District, and that's a little south of, of the, the main city of Atlanta, first as a teacher and later as a principal. She was first elected as mayor of Jonesboro in 1995 and took office in 1996. In addition to her duties as mayor, she serves on the superintendent's high-performing advisory board for Clayton County Schools, the board of the Atlanta Regional Commission, and the board of the Southern Regional Medical Center. She earned a bachelor's degree at Tift College and graduate degrees at Georgia State University. She's an avid reader and gardener, and she's especially fond of her two grandchildren. Joy, we are delighted that you could join us today. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. Well, why don't we jump right in, Joy, and let's start talking about your very first grant experience with the city. Uh, Before we got started recording, you even admitted you're like, I had to dig through my closet to figure out when that was. So tell us about, you know, when you wrote your first grant, what it was and why on earth as mayor, because that's not a typical mayor duty, why you ended up writing that grant for the city. Well, as you said, I took first took office in 1996, but um, and of course, getting my feet the first term. But the second term, by then, I had seen that there were a, a many needs in the city that were not being met, particularly in terms of our streets, curbing, gutters. There were no parks in the city, which I won't even get into that. That's another <laughs> whole topic. Yes. But uh, one of the main thoroughfares through our city is called Fayetteville Road. And uh, the city had never, uh, they had never really done a lot of paving. We were kind of a sleepy little town. But during my term and since then, our county population has more than doubled. So we we have about 90,000 people that have our zip code, actually. So we have lots of traffic. So the, the streets take a lot of wear and tear. So I found out about community development block grants. And I thought, this would be <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> this would be a way that we could actually do a. I was really after a sidewalk because we have a lot of walkability in the city, and I wanted to start trying to provide sidewalks for all our citizens. So I dove in and started studying and what it would take. At that time, too, as an aside, we did not have a city manager or a community development director. We didn't have a city manager the first 12 years that I served as mayor. So it was pretty much left up to me, and I took it to the council, and most of the council had served for many years, and I was kind of a young renegade, so to speak. And they said, well, if you can get the money, go for it. So I started just reading and trying to figure out what I needed to do, and I had these grand dreams. The the street was 1.1 miles long, 
And I thought, it's going to be gorgeous. So then finally, we, we found out that we received the money. Unfortunately, I could only do a third of what I wanted to do. So uh, unperturbed, we, uh, we, I had a friend that was an engineer or someone I had met through someone. He wasn't really a personal friend. We embarked on that project, and you know all the requirements as far as the bids and all of that, but we got through it. And then I just kept resubmitting, and we now not only have that whole street, it has curbing gutters, new catch basins, sidewalks, and we also did a project that connects that street to Terra Boulevard. So those were all done with CDBG grants, and uh, we just really had no resources for a grant writer, and I thought, well, maybe I can try this and see if that's a way that we could get some assistance with starting to improve our streets. And since then, those CDBG people know me very well. (laughs) (laughs) That is an incredible way to start. That is like, I'm trying to think it's like entering, it's like entering a marathon when you've just started jogging. But you finished (laughs) with fine colors, but that's, Uh that's a, it's a complex grant. And just to reference back, Tara Boulevard is a major, major, highway thoroughfare that runs um, south of the city and connects a lot of different communities. So to connect all those roads and the tenacity that it took <laughs> to keep going like a third of a mile a time or, or whatever, yeah. Listen, everything else you were Yeah, doing. well, I always, so ignorance, ignorance is bliss, you know. <laughs> How do you think we started this podcast? Yeah, we were like, exactly. Amanda's like, you want to do this? I'm like, okay. Here we are. Well, anytime I teach a class and somebody mentions that they do CDBG or any other HUD grant, I'm like, there is a special place in heaven for you because (laughs) HUD grants, they're talking about hoops to jump through. I mean, they do some really good stuff, but they're a booger to manage. So you, you, we've already identified that you are a a go getter. I think that's obvious from anybody who's, who's, uh, who's uh, listening or has met you. And you took a lot of it took a lot of different skills um, to develop the city and to be the have the career that you had. Could you identify for us sort of what skills that you found yourself drawing from to put together the grant proposals, even after that first biggie? Well, I always tell everyone I'm a dreamer. And so I think one of the things you need to definitely do is have a vision. Um, don't just apply for a grant because you think you might be able to get money. Make sure that what you're applying for actually is applicable to whatever vision you have. And so we, now that we have a city manager, he and I, as soon as we receive a grant or start a project, we always have something waiting in the, in the, the next next that we would sure. like to do and how can we do it and where can we where can we get some assistance but um i think having a a list of potential projects it doesn't matter how big your dream is but you you have to have a dream first of all i think you need to match your need to the grant that's really important read through the grant Make sure you see what kind of projects that it will provide. What's the match? Do you have the money to match it? That's critical. You have to be able to match uh, the money. And usually there's always a match. Um, So reading and understanding the grant requirements and then gathering resources. Make sure that you have plenty of records, plenty of statistics, pictures help. 
letters, some, some grants require letters of support and you need to go get those early because if you have a deadline, that's the first thing you need to try to go after is to get your letters of support. You might need a resolution from a council or a commission and those don't meet all the time. So you need to kind of think forward and be sure you have all your, your paperwork. Some grants require that you have preliminary plans drawn. So that's another thing that takes, it takes time if that's something that is required. And now with so many, most grants being online, you have to be able to do a succinct narrative that really gets your idea across. Don't be too wordy, but make sure it's clear and simple and that it really summarizes what you're trying to do. So those are the, those are my best ideas. So the podcast I is, her. <laughs> I was going to say no coaching here where nobody, we, we just sent a list of questions, but also I think we could just end the podcast because I'm kidding. We're, I mean, the whole thing, joy just summed it up for all y'all out there. And I, I love it. And I, I would identify sort of a, a, a background a set of skills that you have as being um, strategic and analytical and organized and how you approach that because every step of the way you just walked us through demonstrated to me how you and your from your early renegade days um, until now how you were like okay this is what needs to happen because so often with um clients that I've worked with or even organizations where I've worked in the past and I'm sure Amanda has had this experience multiple times people say oh there's a grant Let's let's go write something, and it's like, but that's really far from your mission. And who's going to do your work while you're off chasing this money? So I just I love it. And no, there was no coaching. This is all joy all the time. We're saying that because we just preach about this so much, yes. and it was so wonderful to just hear it just right out from you with all your experience. Yep. All of the, if you go to any great writing training, that's, those are all the points that <laughs> have, a stra- and have that strategy. I've, I've never, I didn't know. Okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, you figured it out. So you did a good job. <laughs> oh, well, Joy, since you're not a full-time grant person and really grant writing is not in your job description, how do you juggle all of it? Keeping up with the grant deadlines and managing those grants with all the other things you have to do. Because Joy is still the mayor, y'all. We're not talking yes. like she's just um, lying about eating bonbons and watching, you know, binging on Netflix. This yeah. is Joy and is like doing most the work. smaller cities. You're not. I mean, you're not paid to be there Monday through Friday, eight to five. It's a part time position, but you are there a lot. I can attest yes. to that. Yes, I, I do perform a lot of duties that most mayors would not perform in that I usually write all of our proclamations. I write many letters. I generate all my own documents. Um, I do our city newsletter. There's, a, I just do a lot of office work. I handle 99% of our complaints. So, yes. Sir. <laughs> yeah. Or, so how do you juggle all of that? Challenges. Yes, yes. Opportunities for improvement. Opportunities, yes. So how do you keep up with all the grant deadlines and all that stuff with everything else you got going on? When I start looking at the grant or reading the grant, the first thing I do is look at the due date because if it isn't realistic, I can't do it. It has to be 
it has to be a date that I think that I can actually meet the requirements. So that's, that would be number one. And then that date becomes a red letter date. Then after reading through the requirements, I would try to make a list of what I absolutely have to have. And then I start thinking about what date do I have to have this by, this by, this by, this by. I try to be ready to submit at least a week before it's actually due. Nice. Because things always happen, you know, your child gets sick or you have a car accident or you're sick or something happens. And after do, after completing all that work, you don't want anything to happen to keep you from ha- not being able to submit the grant. So if you try to be ready about a week before, then maybe you'll get it, you know, get it submitted on the day it's actually due <laughs> with all the interferences that you have. Um Many times you have to wait on other people for data or for documents that you need. And so that's another reason you need to be able to follow up and, uh, and, and obtain those things that you need. But I think initially looking at that due date when you first start, that is extremely important. And something else on the last question we talked about, whenever we enter into a program or if we announce that we've received a grant, especially, especially programs we've gotten into where we have public meetings or feedback, the, our city manager and I sometimes set a 100-day work program. And so we decide what we're going to do in the first 100 days so that our public knows that this is happening. And we just set several different items that we're going to do so that they can see, we, like, when are we going to do the b- groundbreaking, you know, once we announce it and that kind of thing. That's important to your public. Because if you announce in January you, you're going to do something and then by May you haven't done anything, the public will want to know what's happening. So, um, and I've also been told that there are many people who receive grants but never actually do the money, take the money and spend it. I was told that uh, by a uh, that boggle the mind. <laughs> I won't say where I was told, but it was someone who gives away lots of money. So that's important too. That if you're going to apply for the grant, be sure that you have the matching. You're ready to do it. You're going to spend that money because otherwise, you're keeping someone else from doing a project that they might have actually done. And that's to me, that's just an ethical thing that you that you progress with whatever you're planning to uh, accomplish. I just was having a moment thinking about all the all the because Amanda and I do a, a, a episode each year called "Rip from the Headlines," where it's people who actually commit grant fraud. It's not that they're so unorganized they can't get it done; they just decide to do other things with it. And I was just like, "How far away are we from that with this conversation?" Um, but it's true. I completely agree. You, if you if you can't, it is interesting though. If you can't spend the money, don't get the grant. But for many people, it's like they think it. They might think it ends once they get that award letter. It's like job done, and I. And it's like actually no job, just starting. <laughs> yeah, the, right. right. Got so much left to do. <clears throat> yeah, that was. I would say that was probably one of the most shocking things I discovered along my career path is how many people come to you because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do my job without blah blah blah, or we desperately need this and that. And then you get it for them and they're all excited. And then six months go by and you're like, but you haven't spent a penny. I thought you had to have this. Like, what's going on? But so. I love the hundred day. Yes. I love that. I'm, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here. And I'm, I'm just curious. Do you have like um, uh, a giant master calendar of some sort to 
keep everything, not only your grant deadlines, but put your putting your grant deadlines into everything that you you do. Whenever I meet someone who seems really, really organized, I'm just always curious as to how they organize their tasks and appointments. Um, and if you wouldn't mind sharing that, we could all probably learn a thing or two. I have a huge dry erase board on one wall of my office sure. that is bigger than a big screen TV. <laughs> and of course my calendar. And then I have an executive assistant that okay. she is an executive assistant for both the city manager and I, we're not large enough to both have assistants, but she keeps me on track too. You know, she helps me re- remember not so much the grants, but other appearances that I need to make or uh, meetings or, you know, podcast or zoom meetings or whatever is she you know if she if she sees the time is getting near and, and, and i'm not at city hall she'll text me or something but mainly that dry erase board keeps me on on tap for everything everything because there's lots of in a small city a mayor oversees many many projects sure. so it helps keep me but that, that's what i do it's old-fashioned but that's what i do and that kind of so leads old fashioned. Into the, we both still do that too. <laughs> I have a you. Amanda's heard this many a time, and she's seen it. I have a recycled bulletin board on my office. I'm looking at it right now. That has what I call swim lanes to do, doing, and done, separated by leftover Christmas wrapping tape that a uh, ribbon that's white. It's, it's pretty. It's not, but it gets the job done. So, and I layer that in with a paper calendar and other stuff too. But yeah, it's um, you just whatever works for you, but something will work. And I think it's finding it and working it. Um, and it kind of leads into the next question uh, about that I had for you, Joy. It's what advice do you have for anyone who does not have the staff to do grant work? How can they be successful in the grant world? I'm going to go out on a limb and say being super organized is a big help, but I'm, I'm just curious as to what, what you would say to these folks who are just getting started without the staff. I would say networking with other grant writers. There are cities that have, and of course, I have the best daughter-in-law in the world. <laughs> Any question I have, I can automatically ask her, or what kind of grant is available for this, you know? Um, so that helps, but definitely networking. Networking is just a skill to use for everything. Um, sometimes if you see a project that you think is really spectacular in a city your size, Talk with your talk with your cohorts and your colleagues and find out how they were able to do that project. Did they get grant money? Was it private public? Um, did the city use the reserve funds? You know, find out what they're involved in. And again, networking and attending meetings, you find out about a lot of available money. Um, we're very blessed that our municipal association, Georgia Municipal Association, sends out weekly messages and there's always grant opportunities listed at the bottom of that. So, you know, always seeking, looking at available things online. Uh, there's many special programs you can be involved in through uh, the Georgia Department of Community Affairs, through the Atlanta Regional Commission. We were able to, to be in the Livable Centers Initiative. We also applied for a new program called the Rural Zone, and we're near Atlanta, but I don't know how. When we were discussing that, we said, well, are we rural? No, we're not really rural, but let's apply for it anyway because we have a historic district, and the Rural Zone Project gives huge tax breaks to anyone rehabbing 
a historic building. Oh, sure. And placing a business there. So uh, we also got involved in the Georgia Initiative for Community Housing, which puts us in line for additional grant monies to help to rehab housing in our city. So by participating in programs and networking, you're able to get much information about what's available out there. I have a, a quick follow-up question about networking, if I could. Um, for a lot of a lot of at least a lot of grant writers that I've met before, they they tend to be more introverted and not not wanting to, you know, maybe perhaps even a little shy. Ha- when you're networking with other cities or, that have done the same kind of thing that you've done, and you ask them, "Hey, how was it funded?" Are do you ever get pushback from people not wanting to talk about it? Maybe because they're afraid you'll um, come in and take the money from them. Because I just think, Amanda, don't you think sometimes people get worried about that? Oh yeah. That you know, that it's like people oh, worry they're wanna... not going to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and so, but it sounds like that hasn't been your experience. Not really. I think that uh, you know, just your admiration of the project, and even if it's a large city. Uh, I have a friend that's a mayor of a much larger city than Jonesboro, and I would say to her, we could do this on a smaller scale, but how were you able to do this? Or how did you team with the developer? And uh, I think just getting to know people and just networking and conversation, you know, things like chamber meetings, connecting with uh, your municipal association, Depart, you know, the Department of Natural Resources has grants available for parks and trails and such as that. But just getting to know people, we uh, we've hosted things in our city, and we try to host as many professional organizations as we can too. So that brings people together, and just networking. You know, you usually find out that people are wondering the same thing you are. Once you get to know people, they have the same needs you do. They're the, they're the same as you. And so I really haven't found much of that. I think just making friends with people and uh, and just keep keep pushing forward, but definitely looking online, reading information that's available, and uh, just jumping in there and participating in, in everything. Kimberly, I don't know if in the nonprofit world it's the same way, but definitely in local government, if you are a community that has known for really good parks or your downtown is amazing, they usually are very, they're so very proud of what they've accomplished that they are happy to be the standard. And I mean, other cities host all the time where they come, come spend a weekend in our community and we'll show you, we'll talk to you. Usually staff will meet with staff or elected officials with elected officials. It's a pretty typical thing um, to have happened in, at least on the, in the local government world. So I would, I would say it's real, it's, it can be very different and nonprofit. Some, some super open, yes. And some no, and not to plug the grant professionals association, but to plug the Grant Professionals yeah. Association right now, that was actually where I was able to start meeting other grant writers, whether they were local. It's where I met Amanda at the Georgia chapter. So that can also be a vehicle to, you know, uh, you know Joy was giving a ton, I hope y'all were taking notes, a ton of places to look for grants, regardless of the, even what state you live in. There, I think those agencies would still be there and have grants. But if you're just getting started and as a grant writer and you're, you're not sure how to approach, I think that peer-to-peer 
networking, just like Joy was talking about. If you're a grant writer talking to another grant or a development director talking to a senior grants manager, whoever it is, maybe starting those conversations there, I think could could open doors in the nonprofit uh, world more for information sharing. It really does. And as an example, if you if you have a board or a commission or a council that maybe is not as much on board, one thing we did we visited the city of Madison. We've done visited we've visited many cities, but this is just an example. We visited the city of Madison, Georgia, and those of you who are listening are probably very familiar with Madison and all the beautiful things they've accomplished in their city. They hosted us. We had a meeting there. Then they took us around the city and showed us some of the buildings that they had built, the way they renewed their downtown, some of the projects. They were just very, very wonderful in sharing with us. And I found that to be true, as Amanda said, of most cities. Um, They're very willing to show off what they've done and help other cities. When we help others, we're helping ourselves. That's very true. Yeah. Well, and for those listening that are outside of Georgia, all the agencies Joy was listing, it's just basically different state agencies and um, different councils of governments that exist in every state across the country. So it's just start looking at those resources that you have at, you know, the regional and the and the state levels that they, they've got grants, they've got they've got um, information, they've got people that are helpful. Um, pointing you in the right direction for grants and how your projects can fit with things. So you definitely want to take advantage of those organizations. Well, let's totally change gears, go from how helpful everybody is. And let's talk about one of the things uh, Kimberly and I often talk about is ways we wish we could fix the grant world because we all know it's an imperfect system. So Joy, if you could wave your own magic wand and make the grant process better, what would your recommendation be to funders? Because I will tell you, Joy and I recently, we won't name who it was, but there was a funder, you had to, to get the application, you had to go to their webinar and their webinar was right around the holidays, wasn't it? And the application was due, like. Right, right. there wasn't much time, yeah. not much breathing time, right. It was, a, yeah. it, was a, it was a tight fit. I would say the first thing that came to my mind was federal level grants. It just, it overwhelms me when I look and I'm trying to read. It just seems complicated, which is like everything federal, I suppose. But it just seems more complex. You have to dive in and dig and find out what this, that, the other. It's just, it's just to me, it's just so much more complex. I will say that submitting uh, grants online is so much simpler now. The original grants I wrote, I had to, you know, submit so many copies Etc. Etc. So that has, I will I will give a shout out because that's definitely an improvement. I was dreaming of a, a publication, and there may be one, ladies, that I don't know about called Grants Today, and it would come out every week, and it would have it divided into arts and theater sidewalks <laughs> I don't know whatever but you know and you could just skim down and it would have a website and where you a trail in the park you know it would just have a list of different divisions of projects and you could just just thumb through it or scroll through it on your computer and you would be able to find to me that would be the dream of my life it would be like a clearinghouse for grants yeah I mean, there's this, the, it's one of those things, there's a lot of places to find grants, but there, there really is not one very simple, easy to read 
organized like that, but yeah, we'd all like that. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I'm dr- yeah. I'm a dreamer. I told you that. I'm a dreamer. <laughs> so that would be very lovely. That would be amazing. And if this is inspiring anyone out there to do this, let us know. <laughs> let Go for us it. know. How. I'm thinking of different tools that I use. Grants.gov has their push email of all the new. So that's exciting. I'm on the USDA um, for different kinds of grants. They're, they do this radio newsletter, which is actually just an email newsletter that comes out. But you're right. They're like five or six different places that I go in addition to regular prospect research. Um, and they're different paid databases that will send out. The, um, GPA has a weekly newsletter and then they also have a, uh, is it a separate one, Amanda, where they send out certain certain grant yeah, opportunities? Yeah, that's the partnership with GrantStation that yeah. they send those out. Yeah. But yeah, there's not, there's one... not one Mac Daddy Central Clearinghouse. That yeah. would be lovely. And you would think if we could put a million cat videos online, someone could find a way. <laughs> to, that's and true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Food for thought. Food yes. For thought. Yep. So, well, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say something that this is interesting that just came up this morning, not only like knowing where the grants are, I just got a text it's from somebody actually who lives and works in Clayton County. Joy knows. Um, we have a joint friend, Stephanie, who runs a um, nature center um, down in Clayton County. And she texted me and our friend, Sylvia Reddick, who is a former grants administrator, now city manager herself, that she she's going after a grant. They're wanting to build some trails but like Joy says, usually you've got to have so much information beforehand. And one of the things, like she knows, I want a trail. I want it to be this wide. I want it to be this long. I already mm-hmm. own the property. So I just need to design. She's like, I just need generally to know how much does it cost to build a, an average, an asphalt trail? Because she's not an engineer and she doesn't have anybody else to reach out to. So she's asking Sylvia. She's like, you guys write grants. Have you done a trail grant recently? What does it cost? And um Sadly, both of us were like, well, it used to be about a million dollars a mile to build a trail right. like that. But neither of us have done a grant the past few years. And with construction costs going up, you know, we weren't, um, neither of us were sure. So that just goes back to networking, having all the right people where you can start asking questions. Because even though, even though neither of us know, we both know people who do know. So we'll get her connected eventually to the right people. So, again, just... Gosh, I'm amazed coming from the nonprofit health and human services sector, a million dollars a mile for a trail. That's about right. It's probably about 1.3 by now, Amanda, since the price of everything has has risen. But that that was the the figure that I received when I was working on. We haven't actually written a grant for a trail to connect with our county to coming into the city, but we were looking at some figures, and that's what we were given about two years ago. But since then, everything has oh, yeah. completely increased, and, and so it's probably more like 1.2 or 1.3 by now, I would say. Uh, you know, I would say to everyone out there, if you're not a grants person, don't be afraid to try. I think for me, the desire to have the project done was greater than my fear of trying. And so uh, I would encourage everyone, you know, we've been able to get grants for our police department. The Justice Department has a, a variety of different kinds of grants. We always get the bulletproof vest. I was able to get motorci- a couple of motorcycles, some bicycles, 
we actually got two policemen funded for two, two or three years. I forgot what it was now. It's been so long ago. But that's another opportunity. There's many, and the law enforcement grants are probably increasing now because of the state of, uh, you know, our society and everything that is going on. So um, we were able to remember the iced tea. We received an iced tea grant also. That was that was back in the day. I don't know what they're calling that now. I remember hearing about that at ARC the other day. There's a new name for it, but I don't remember it. But don't be afraid to go for a Department of Transportation grant. And, and I would say to, to also the Department of Transportation has grants besides just paving because we received a safety grant to replace all the stop signs in our city, including some electronic stop signs. So there's plenty of money out there if you just kind of dig around for it. Okay, what's an electronic stop sign? It blinks so that, you know, in a place where people tend to run the stop sign, we have five of those in the city right now. And, and of course, we replaced every stop sign in the city with that grant, new post, new sign. That doesn't sound like a lot, but actually it's pretty costly. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, every every grant that you receive is just a little bit more money. You don't have to draw from your general fund or tax your citizens for. So, oh, we received some speed bumps, too, in that same grant. I forgot about that. Yeah. Everybody loved everybody wants a speed bump on their street, but that's just not possible. Yeah. I was sitting here going, wow, I sure would love one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Years ago, Joy, my my parents lived in Griffin, so I would pass down through and around Jonesboro to get down there. And this just made me think about the speed bump because they lived on College Avenue. It's a Mm -hmm. pretty pretty street and, and the older, more historic part of the city. And the, the people did tend to tend to fly down that road, and and so, so neighbors got together and got a speed bump, and they put it right in front of my parents' house, and my mother was so mad, y'all. She was she's no longer with us. Uh, I'm I'm saying this with love and respect, but she was like, I'm glad they're slowing down, but it looks like a helicopter could land out here, and she was just you know because she liked things a certain way. She was. Martha Stewart before Martha Stewart, I think was Martha Stewart, but that just gave me, that just gave me a chuckle. And I'm also wondering as while we're talking about grants for safer traffic patterns, what are those bumpy things called when you're out on like a County highway before you get to the stop sign, you run over them and it sounds like you're running over like a cattle guard or something. What are That's also, that also probably could be funded through a, a safety grant. because It's just something to alert motorists to a dangerous intersection. We don't have any of those in the city, but it's a really good thing because usually those are based on the fact that there's been many accidents, accidents at a yeah. intersection yeah. where you have a four-way stop. Yeah. And, they're and called so a rumble strip. By they're the like way. a rumble strip. Yeah, that's, that's rumble strip. I I do. I visit a play. I visit pretty frequently to a place uh, that's about three hours from here, sort of in south central Georgia. And I take the back ways just to avoid the highways. And so, yeah. Just you know, a, now we're in, we're installing those on the edge of roads too. Now, if yes. you know that if you get too close to the edge of a street or a highway, you have kind of a I guess you would call it a rumble strip, and yeah, it's a, the same kind of thing. Husband, so keeps you keeps you from running off the road. So I yeah. just I like that sounds like a good name for a band. It could yes. be Amanda Day and the Rumble Strips, y'all. Well, just- you know, uh, King, my Kincaid, my youngest, she loves the sound of that. Like, would you ever? So she's always like, "Go over it." I'm like, "I'm not going to do it on purpose, child." <laughs> 
<laughs> this is my 12 year old who also tries to teach joy and I how to drive. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh wowzers. So well, hey, I want to say real quick too. Yeah. joy started off the, uh, the podcast here talking about how, when she first got to Jonesboro, you know, they had no streetscapes, they had no parks. I mean, if you went to her city now, you would never have guessed that was the case because these, you know, through their downtown, they've got all like this. You've got a lot of brick paved sidewalks. They joy was very instrumental in creating Lee street park, which Lee street's got a huge playground that kids love. There's a big amphitheater there y'all have outdoor concerts all the time. And that was majorly grant funded. If I remember correctly. Yes. Um, Yes. And so there's just, (laughs) <laughs> a little town these days. We were able to place all of our lines underground with our iced tea grants for our two streetscapes we did downtown. We did not only the streetscape, but all those lines are underground that used to be. They used to be two big trunk lines sure. on both sides of the street. There, We have a railroad that goes in the middle of the city, and we have a Victorian courthouse that used to be covered by a huge brick building and through a SPLOS project, we were able to fund $8 million to restore that courthouse. So I invite everyone to look at our website and you can see a picture of that courthouse. Now it's totally restored, used as a county building, but it is the centerpiece of Jonesboro. So that makes sense. Then if people want to check it out, should they just, is it, uh, is the website like, jonesboro.gov or should they just google city of jonesboro or it's www.jonesboroga.com we're about 20 miles south of atlanta Uh, our city our city newsletter is also on that website we mail that to all businesses all citizens all elected officials in clayton county and all of, of course our businesses in the city we have about I don't know how many thousand people that receive it by email, but it has our city calendar. Uh, we have a pet of the month sometimes. We're still a small town. Uh, so, you know, you have to remember Jonesboro is still a small town, even though we have all these people that think they live inside the city limits. We still, you know, if someone gets a promotion or wins a chess tournament, we'll, hey, I'm the news lady, so I'll put it in there. You send it to me, I'll put it in there. But uh, it's very popular with our citizens. So, but but visit us at www.jonesboroga.com. Sounds good. Excellent. Yeah. So, well, thanks for joining us today, Joy. I know you're busy. She's got Chamber of Commerce things to do today. Yeah, she's got a jet. Thank you so much. I always learn so many wonderful things from any guest that we have. But I'm also just want to shout out that it's great. Right now, when there's so many things going wrong and bad in the world, to hear about good things that can happen um, in a city and good things that can happen navigating the grants process. So it's been a real shot of positivity to my day. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm on my next quest for a grant. (laughs) Love it. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Your continued support is the reason we are scrolling through season five. Hard to believe, but here we are. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us connect with more folks like you who want to learn about grants and fundraising. Um, Share this with your friends. Um, It just helps grant and fundraising pros all around or people who are voluntold to write grants and raise money. Helps them connect to us and 
helps us connect to them. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so very honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you tune in for our next episode. We're going to be talking about capital campaigns. <laughs> or rather, Kimberly's talking about capital campaigns, and I get to learn right alongside y'all. <laughs> I am going to draw some striking parallels to the work that you do, and you know so much more about this, Amanda, than you ever give yourself credit for. Well, we'll all learn together. <laughs> See you then. Bye.